So I want to look a little bit at, at uh, the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is like wildly fantastical, if, if you think about it. It's, it's like a crazy story. It's about a guy that gets called to go and preach to Nineveh, call this city, this Syrian city to repent. Um, and, um, and he doesn't want to do that because he hates the Ninevites. So he doesn't want to do that, so he gets on a boat and he tries to flee from God. And uh, then a storm comes and, uh, you know, he's the one responsible for the storm. So eventually, through a whole bunch of circumstances, we'll get to some of them. Uh, you know, they throw Jonah overboard. He, uh, the storm stops, the sailors rejoice, the storm stops, and uh, then he gets swallowed by a fish. Then he gets spat out on the shore, which, I mean, this story is just wildly crazy. He then goes and preaches to Nineveh, which is, the, it is told that it's a three-day journey across the city, like on foot. So to preach across the city would take three days, but in one day, a revival breaks out. They all fast, wear sackcloth, repent, um, and God shows Nineveh mercy in this uh, you know, radical one-day revival that happens in Nineveh. And then you get to chapter 4, and Jonah's angry. I mean, this is crazy. I don't know if you were laughing, chuckling with me at Jonah. I mean, Jonah's like, you showed grace to Nineveh. I want to die. And then a vine springs up. He's like, I'm so happy. Um, and then the vine dies. He's like, I want to die. And then he's arguing with, with God over over this, you know, this, uh, this barn and arguing with God over him showing mercy. It's a pretty crazy story. Um, but I want us to kind of look at just three things that this story tells us that I think will help us understand ourselves a little bit and understand uh, something of, of the nature of God. One of the things that we see one of the really powerful elements of the story of Jonah is that it is a story of God's mercy. The story of Jonah is a story of God's mercy. We just sang, actually, about, um, you know, in view of God's great mercy. And one of the things that we see in the story of Jonah is not just the fantastical coming alive. What we see is God's mercy on display. In fact, Jonah so knows God is merciful. Like that is his whole issue of going to Nineveh. That is why he doesn't want to go. That's his argument with God in, at the beginning of chapter 4. The reason why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he knows that God is a gracious and compassionate God. He's like, God, if you send me to Nineveh, I know you're going to show mercy on them. And he doesn't want mercy to come upon Nineveh. So Jonah himself recognizes God's mercy. This is the reason why he's trying to run away from going to Nineveh, because he knows that God is a merciful God, that God is a God who's going to show mercy uh, to his people. God is going to show mercy to all of those who call on his name, and Jonah doesn't want that. And that's an issue with Jonah, not an issue with God. But what we see is God's mercy on display. 
God ultimately shows mercy on Nineveh. How can God show mercy on Nineveh? Nineveh was like the capital of the Assyrian Empire at that time. It was like the debauched, debauched city of the, that era in history. Like you're thinking these are the worst of the worst. The, the living completely anti God's ways. You're thinking Jonah does not want them to be saved. He's like, God, how can you say these are our oppressors? These people are evil. Like you cannot save them. And I know if I go and preach to them, you will save them. So I'm not going to go and preach to them. But God is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. Mercy means that you are not treated as you deserve to be treated. That's what mercy means. When we say that God is merciful, what we are saying is that God does not treat us as we should be treated. So Jonah thinks the way the Assyrians should be treated is that God's judgment should come upon them for their wickedness, for their debauchery, for their oppression, for the way they've disregarded God for, you know, over and over again. You know, they should be treated with judgment. Mercy means that you get treated not how you should be treated, not how you deserve to be treated. Mercy is when a judge knows that you are guilty, but extends grace, mercy to you, so that you don't get what you deserve. God is a merciful God. In uh, uh, one of the you know, the, the kind of like real central passages is in Jonah 2, when Jonah prays from the fish. Jonah's running. He's running from God. He's running from Nineveh. He's trying to catch, I mean, seriously, isn't it ironic? He's running from God. Like, I mean, he knows who God is, and he's still running from God. But he, he's trying to go in the opposite direction of Nineveh. That's where he's going, Tarshish. He's sailing on a boat in the opposite direction. He's trying to run away from what God is calling him as a prophet to do. And he ends up in this fish. And you would think at this point, this is God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty one, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, as, as Jonah himself tells the sailors. You would think that when you've got this disobedient prophet, that the response of God towards such a blatant act of disobedience against God's authority would be judgment. But what happens? God saves him from drowning in the ocean. He provides a fish, and Jonah recognizes this. He recognizes this in his prayer. In uh, chapter 2, when he says this at the end of his prayer, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. Salvation 
comes from the Lord. Uh, uh, Theologian, a Bible teacher who, uh, um, you know, he uh, teaches on preaching and, and uh, the Bible in the U.S., a guy called Edmund Clowney. He's quite famous for, for writing a book called Christ-Centered Preaching. But Edmund Clowney says this. He says, if there could be one verse that is central to understanding the whole of the Scriptures... He said it would be Jonah 2 verse 10. He said it would be this verse, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. It is the recognition of Jonah all of a sudden. He is a rebel. He himself does not deserve mercy. He himself finds himself receiving mercy undeserved. And he cries out in this prayer, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord, um, as some translations say. What is he saying? He's saying this. He is saying salvation doesn't come from the fact that I'm an Israelite. Salvation doesn't come from the fact by what I've done because he hasn't done all the right things. He's recognizing that salvation is entirely God's prerogative. That God shows mercy not because he deserves it, not because he's an Israelite, not because of any reason at all, but because of God. God, the merciful, the gracious, the compassionate, is the one who chooses of his own accord to provide salvation. He recognizes that. Salvation is not of Israel. Salvation is not of my good works. Salvation is not of anything that I've done. Salvation is of The Lord. Jonah recognizes God's mercy on his own life. Undeserving, a runner away from God, a rebel, a person who has essentially chosen his own desires for people over the Lord's will, God arrests him out of the ocean and shows him salvation, provides mercy. And then the story is a story of God's mercy because Jonah goes and preaches to the wicked Ninevites and they receive the Lord's rebuke and they repent. And God shows mercy. He provides salvation to a group of people that Jonah could not fathom in his mind. He could not comprehend salvation coming to this group of people. And yet, God has shown mercy. God is a merciful God. The reality is all of us need mercy. All of us at points in our lives have been rebels, are running away from God's call, are running away from God's ways. All of us have been self-serving and self-centered and because of that, are in need of mercy. 
the good news of the scriptures, the good news of the gospel, is that God is a merciful God. It is one of the beautiful things of the story of Jonah. One of the beautiful things of the story of Jonah is that over and over, God highlights his mercy to his people. Second point is the danger of self-centered faith. One of the things that we learn from Jonah is the danger of a self-centered or a self-obsessed um, faith. Uh, I, I mean, Jonah over and over again just shows himself to be so completely self-centered um, in the story from running in the opposite direction, trying to run away from God. Um, but in chapter one, when he's on the boat and the storm comes and uh, um, it says this, it says, and the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. I mean, don't you find that ridiculous? Jonah knows why the storm is there. As the narrative goes on, you see, Jonah knows why the storm is there. He knows it's because of him. He knows that the Lord is sending a judgment against his own choice. He knows that. And while everyone is doing all that they can to save each other on this boat, what does Jonah do? Later, guys. Enjoy throwing all your possessions overboard. Like, they're gone. Unlucky for you, I'm going for a nap. I mean, it is the most self-centered response you could think about. He is watching people in fear and stress and throwing away their possessions. He is watching people who are absolutely worried about they, that they're going to die. And what does Jonah do? He's like, later guys, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going in the boat. Like, I'm going down under deck. I'm going to go take a nap. And the worst part is he must be so self-centered because he actually manages to sleep. Like, I don't know if you've thought about that. Like, if you're, like, if you're so scared and whatever, you're probably going to be up there anxious. Like, I mean, he's just like, whatever. Like, asleep, falls asleep in the midst of the chaos. Um, Jonah is so self-centered in his own faith. So self-centered that he's willing to let a whole ship go down, a whole group of people go down because of his actions. And eventually he gets found out, the captain calls him, they cast lots, it, it falls on him and he realizes, I can't get away from this any longer. Everything's pointing to me. And eventually he gets thrown overboard and, uh, and uh, you know, ends up in the sea. But it takes him being absolutely caught out before he's willing to take any response. But it's not, 
it's not just at that point. He eventually, like, unwillingly, because he knows God's got his number, uh, when he gets spit out on the shore, he unwillingly goes and preaches to Nineveh. But then you see him being self-centered again. He's like, God is showing mercy on Nineveh. And what does he do? He's like, I want to die. You're like, that is the most ridiculous response I've ever heard in my life. Like, the people are being saved. God has shown mercy, and he's like, I want to die. Like, God, I want to die. He's having this argument with God. But it, it gets even better, because what happens is he, he, he now, uh, as most theologians will say, the reason why Jonah goes out of the city, and the reason why he sets up the shelter, is he actually wants to be an observer. He wants to see if God actually is going to, he's seen a moment of mercy, but he wants to see whether God's going to send judgment on Nineveh. So he's now this outside observer. He's done his job. He's on the hill. He's set up his little camp and shelter looking upon the city, and he's eagerly anticipating to see what God's next move is. What's God's next move? A vine comes up and provides him shade. The theologians say this, is that the words where where it says that he's very happy means he is like ecstatically happy. But he's ecstatically happy because he thinks that this moment of comfort provided from God is God's approval of his attitude. Like that's where he's at. He's like, yeah, I knew it. I've been justified. I mean, how self-centered can you get? He gets this moment of comfort and he's like, Loving my life, so great. God knows, I'm going to watch this. It's all going to come down. And then what happens? God provides a worm. And then he's like, oh, I want to die again. And it's all about Jonah the whole time. That's one of the things that you notice throughout the Jonah story is that every part of the story around Jonah is about him. But when it comes to God, it's not about God. It's about God's mercy. God's attitude is outward. Jonah's attitude is completely inward. God is about extending mercy to those around him. Jonah's attitude is about self-obsession with his own views and desires and attitudes. We learn from the book of Jonah the danger of a self-centered faith. And some of us use this language. I don't know if you notice this, but like sometimes we use this language of like whenever comforts come into our lives, we use the language of like, I'm so blessed. Yeah. Blessed and highly favored, please see. Yeah. I'm so blessed, I can contain it. No, but we, like, whenever we have this comfort in our lives, we, it's like, I'm blessed. My life is so great. I must be doing something right. I mean, just because you got comfort does not necessarily mean God is approving of where you're at in your life. And then when things go against you, you're like, the world is against me. I can't believe it. Everything's against me. It's, it's like we sometimes can get caught in the trap of self-centered faith, where our faith is all about us. We are the center of our worlds. How, you know, what we have, the car we drive, the, 
etc., etc. It can be all about me. But we live in the trap of Jonah. If we make our faith all about us, we live in the trap of Jonah, and the trap of Jonah is this. The trap of Jonah is this, is thinking that every good thing that happens to you is God approving your bad attitude. Instead of being able to humble ourselves to see what God himself is doing in the world and getting behind that. The trap of Jonah is to think that God is behind our political ideals. We've seen this in South Africa in apartheid. We see this in America in all the political stuff happening there. But it's like this political polarization that happens around religion where all of a sudden we think God is on about our political agenda. We get caught in the trap and thinking that God is on about our economic advancements. God is on about our comfort and prosperity. We become a little self-obsessed. Jonah is like a stark reminder to us of the danger of self-centered faith. The end of the book of Jonah, for my third points, invites us to change our perspective Jonah, I mean, God is so merciful to Jonah. You think, like, if I was God at that point, like, man, I would have smoked Jonah. That guy would have been, he would have been on fire, like, done, dead, a pancake, you know, like, I would have sorted that guy out. But God is so merciful and so gracious. I mean, he is literally arguing with God, moaning at God. The whole time throughout the book. And then God invites Jonah to change his perspective. How does the book end? As we read at the start, the book ends with God saying this, Jonah, why are you so concerned about the plant? Should I... God, the creator, should I not be care for Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Tim Keller says this, he says, God loves people more than plants, <laughs> as, a, as a funny Thing. For all the, the botanists, garden lovers, and introverts, like, not all introverts, I know introverts love people, but yeah. Jonah is obsessed with this plant. 
And God is like, should I not be concerned with 120,000 people? Should I not be concerned with all these people and their animals? Uh, That's how the NIV puts it, but you know, most translation with their livestock. This is like, should I not be concerned about all these people and how they survive? He's inviting Jonah to change his perspective, to stop seeing Nineveh as this political enemy, to stop seeing Nineveh as the oppressor of Israel. He's inviting Jonah to change his perspective and to see Nineveh as a group of people created in the image of God. He's asking Jonah to see the place he has hated so differently. Differently. He is inviting Jonah to look again at this place and see them not as enemies, but as people. Created in the image of God. Tim Keller says this, he says, He says, if you had to summarize the book of Jonah, you'd summarize it in this phrase, that Jonah is about God teaching us how to love the people who are so different to us that we can't understand. Jonah is about God teaching us to love people who are different to us, to love people we struggle with, to not see people in categories of enemies or politics, but to see people as God sees them. It is the invitation for us to change our own perspective. I've... uh, I've wondered about how it is that we see Durban sometimes, um, or how it is that we see South Africa. Um, you know, we there can be a lot of negative talk. Um, people are like, "Ah, oh, this, ah, oh, that, ah, oh, the problems, ah," oh, you know, and uh, online, like, just don't ever go online. It's like a cesspool of bad trolls you know um but like you you read like the comments on articles and stuff online and people are just like vile and horrid and so negative and like ah, oh, Durban's gone to the dumps it's not Durban it's Durban or like whatever like the phrases are that people <laughs> you like that or what no <laughs> but like whatever the 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 phrases are that people use and the comments and the feelings and um, or comments back language or 
comments about South Africa in general. Or we used to live in Pinetown in 2011, Pinetown. Well, it came first in the country for something, which was great. Pinetown, the city that uh, was number one in the whole country for the highest number of housebreakers. So probably not, not a, a great stat, but Pinetown became, um, like on, an, on a national scale, became known because it had the highest break-ins in, in the country. And journalists coined this phrase, crime town. Um, you know, Pine Town is crime town. And um, we had this, this friend, and uh, he, he always used to say this. He was like, Jamie, he was like, Pine Town is not crime town. You must remember, it's a fine town. And I was like, very cheesy. But essentially, he was inviting us to change the perspective that people had put on us about a space. And... You know, we are here in Durban, in, in Acts 17, it says God has assigned by his sovereignty in this time, we are here by God's sovereign plan. He's assigned the boundary lines of our habitation, assigned the place in which we should live, that we find ourselves in this space, in this time, somehow, mysteriously, by God's sovereign plan. And we're here to fulfill something of God's mission, which is to bring his mercy into all spaces through the gospel of Jesus. And what we are called to do, if we're going to do that effectively, we are called to change our perspective and to stop seeing spaces with political eyes, with racial eyes, with economic eyes, and to start seeing spaces with God eyes, which is Durban is a city of four million people who need God's mercy. I mean, if Nineveh, 120,000 people, like Durban. Durban dwarfs Nineveh in population. We are here because God wants to, through his people, show mercy. The story of Jonah is the reminder, the story of God's mercy. It is a reminder of how dangerous living a self-centered faith can be, which is you are the center of your world. But it's also the invitation to change our perspective, to remember that God as the ultimate selfless one, is the one who is more, most concerned about those who we often do not care about. Jonah calls us to change our perspective. Jesus at one point says to the Pharisees, he says this, he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. 
And you're like, yo, what does that mean? It's a really tricky one to really understand uh, what that means. Um, but Jesus says this. He says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus himself finds himself asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. On a cushion, Mark says, relaxed, comfortable, in the middle of a storm. But a storm that is judgment against those who deserve judgment, not judgment against himself. And what Jesus does is he himself arises out of the storm. And not only, not like Jonah does he jump into the ocean and, you know, get rescued out of God's mercy. Jesus jumps into the ocean of our own sin and dies for it. Jesus is the willing prophet who goes to a people who do not deserve mercy and himself offers himself on our behalf so that the mercy of God can come to us because of what Christ has done. God is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. And through Christ wants to show you and I and the whole of Durban mercy. Those who cling, as Edmund Clowney highlights, is so important. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Salvation comes from the Lord. Those who disregard the mercy of God miss out on the grace that God wants to pour out. But we, who like Nineveh, have an opportunity to turn, to call on, to ask God to show us grace despite of ourselves, will be the ones who see salvation come, not because of us, what we've done, because of who we are, but because God is the merciful one, who of his own accord shows mercy to you and I. Can I pray? Lord, I thank you for I thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, kind and merciful. Jonah, as self-centered as he was, could recognize how merciful you are. And I thank you for that, that we are here today because of your great mercy, because you've chosen not to pour out judgment, but have chosen to draw us by grace into mercy. I think of Romans, as Romans says, 
Do not disregard God's kindness, thinking that he is uncaring of what's going on in the world. For it is your kindness, it is your patience, it is your withholding of your judgment that leads us to repentance because you so desire mercy. And so Lord, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for Christ who is greater than Jonah, who willingly comes to a people who have disregarded him. Thank you for mercy. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that you would help us help us to be people that would proclaim your mercy to those around us, would proclaim your grace, would tell of the message of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would break us out of our own self-obsession and self-centeredness, out of a kind of faith where we are the center of it, where we come to church on Sunday expecting it to be about blessing us every time, where we expect our faith and our religion to be about our own prosperity, But I pray, Lord, that you would break us out of a self-centered view of the world and that we would begin to see as you do people created in the image of God who you love, who you desire, who you long to meet, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for coming and braving the cold. Well done. Well done for choosing church over Netflix and popcorn.